I can't come here and die. I can't come here and lose. Got all this shit on my mind. Like, what the fuck I'm a day? Work ain't paid me in time. My baby just ripped me my mood. Her too just cut off my line. Hi, guys. And welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Jade. And I'm Ez. And today we have a special guest. So we're going to be talking today about books about blackness about joy and of course we had to have one of the editors of the upcoming book black joy timmy shotire welcome welcome hi hello guys <laughs> how are you yeah i'm good thank you i'm good it's a saturday which is nice no work was able to have a lay-in that is joy <laughs> um, but yeah how are you guys yeah not bad not too bad at all not didn't have a lay in this morning (laughs) um gonna do lunch with a friend just take it generally quite easy today that's good that's good i'm on the ropes but um we're not oh no (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna talk about that today um because we're talking about black joy um (laughs) so yeah i think that leads into the opening question um which is what what comes to mind for you when we you hear the phrase black joy yeah i think that's such a good question because it's definitely changed while doing this book and um like just editing the essays and writing my own i think before when i thought of black joy i thought of it in i thought of it more in a stereotypical sense i was like what do i think makes black people happy what does the world think makes black people happy so and these things are still true. Like I was thinking of like Afrobeats, like reggae and dance, or like Jollof Rice, like Ankara, hall parties, which I do think are elements of black joy. But I think now when someone says, what does black joy mean to you? It's just a really simple answer of something that makes a black person happy or brings a black person joy. So that could be anything under the sun. So like for me, it was get, like having a lay-in, being able to wake up on my own terms without my alarm ringing. And like I was just saying to you guys before we start recording that I was knitting, I'm trying to knit a scarf. That's like bringing me joy because it's relaxing. So just anything that can be like mundane or something that like we tend to look over, if that brings you joy as a black person, that is black joy. For me, when I think about black joy, I still think about the like group. I think about us as a group of black people and when I hear the phrase black joy I most definitely think of one laughter so I think about a laughter among us in our school uniforms um, uncontrollable laughter that you were trying to stifle and so you didn't get in trouble Um, I think about the man them laughing 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 that disruptive laughter, that laughter that rubs people up the wrong way, but doesn't rub me up the wrong way. It, I, it's like an inside thing. I don't have to know the joke. I don't need to be part of the banter, but it brings about something that feels positive for me and rubs outsiders up the wrong way. That's what I think of when I think of Black Joy. One and two, um, I think when I think about Black Joy, I think very much about making something out of nothing. Um, I think a lot about our creative productions and just getting it, feeling it. Like when we think about grand music, when we think about all sorts of productions over the years, think about Carnival and we just band together and we get it. We revel in the joy that they that people must have felt creating this thing. And then us as the recipients, there is a collective joy that we are all like part of. And again, it's an insider thing. It's not an outsider thing. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Black I love Joy. that actually. That like for you, it's like a collective thing. Yeah. Like, for me, it's like quite an individual thing, but there's not like one better definition. Yeah, definitely you know, like, not. It's, it's both a collective and individual feeling. So I think that's quite nice how our minds went to like different things. Mm. Yeah. And how about yourself, Ez? Um, maybe this is the place that I'm thinking from today for the place that I am in my own brain but um, when I think about the phrase black joy the first thing that comes to my mind is struggle and um, joylessness actually so and like I think it's the black in this in the phrase so it's the it's the what we've had to overcome to to attain joy and to feel joy and to express joy Um, so there's something in my mind about like 
defiance, black joy being linked with defiance, black joy being linked with um, struggle and it being, yeah, an act of defiance to, to feel and embody joy um, as a black person. Um, similar to you, Jade, I think about the collective. So I think about hall parties, I think about raves, I think about dancing, I think about embodying joy. So it being very expressive, um, when I think about Black Joy, I think about it being, yeah, embodied and expressive rather than like a silent or quieter, kind of more peaceful expression of joy. It feels very like embodied and physical, actually. So the laughter, the, yeah, the dancing, um, that's what I think about. That's what comes to mind. But then similarly to you, to me, I also think that there's like a, there's no kind of monolithic black experience so I think that there is like ways that that version of kind of like stereotypical expressions of black joy um whole parties raves yada yada um I think that there's ways that that can cannot be joyful for people or that can actually make people feel that oh in order to express joy as a black person or in order to feel joy as a black person I need it it needs to look a certain way um, and so I think that there's also like kind of more individual and uh, yeah, just individual experiences that are day to day and they can be really, really, really small. So when I think about my life, I think about meditation um, and I think about how that is like in my own corner, in my quiet place, um, meditating, praying, pulling a card whatever it is I think about like the peace and the joy that comes with that um and actually those being the moments in my day-to-day that feel more joyful but so yeah it's it's the community element but then there's also kind of the very like individual ways that we reclaim joy in our day-to-day experiences all of that being like overcoming struggle for overcoming actually this is something that isn't that the world that we live in that the society that we live in particularly being in the UK and being a minoritized community the society that we live in is not designed for us to experience joy um so we are by by experiencing joy by reclaiming joy um we are being defiant and there's something in that that brings me joy yeah I like that it's it's kind of this idea of um, joy being an act of resistance mm-hmm. and finding joy as a collective and in your individual experiences is a way of kind of saying like, fuck you to the race of society that is designed to strip us from our joy. Like there are so many roadblocks put in place on a societal level, on an individual level, on an institutional level to prevent us from experiencing these moments of joy and happiness. So even when we talk about like raves, partying, like we know the government has been trying like to put in laws and policies in place to prevent black people from coming together and just dancing and having fun. Like it was, is it the 696 form? That is such a good question because yeah. I literally had a student with a presentation on the laws policing music black music so I completely forgot what section it is but yeah 100% I'm really struck actually by like this undercurrent of like revolution when we're talking about joy and that feels a little bit sad almost because like revolution and rebellion because it's almost like joy has to be political for us whereas when I think about maybe other communities Um, I grew up with a lot of Colombian girls around me Um, in primary school I did have quite a few white friends as well and I don't feel like it may be my observations of their versions of joy that there was that you know sort of fire underneath it that rebellion that revolution that when we're doing what we're doing it's a fuck you to the establishment when we're making our music, when we're um, eating our food, when we're having our parties, um, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily going against something, um, going against institutions. So I, yeah, I wonder though if that if that if all of our interpretation of joy and as an act of defiance or rebellion is also a testament to our politics. Because I wonder if there are people that don't engage with Black Joy. There are Black people that don't engage with Black Joy from the same lens. Mm. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like the resistance element can be a part of black joy, but I don't think it has to be a defining element of it. And I don't think that should be the sole source or reason for us to seek out and experience black joy. Like, it's the kind of thing where multiple things can be true at once, right? Like, For the, sure. Yeah, so, because I, I agree with you, Jade. Like, I don't want it to be a thing where, like, I'm only able to feel joy in the midst of struggle or to, when coming out of struggle. Like, it should be a thing that can sometimes not feel political or not feel like an act of resistance. It's just a thing that makes me happy. Um, and yeah, I think like everything that we're saying can be true. And like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, for some people, the joy that they experience when being black maybe has nothing to do with resistance. For other people, that could be all it is. Yeah, I think it's... Different. I think it's interesting because um, you guys um, also centered yourself when you thought of Black Joy and I didn't. I mm. thought about it as a communal thing. Um, and then when, as you guys were speaking and I thought about the things that bring me joy, number one, I thought of some of the things that bring me joy that wouldn't be considered quote unquote black. So as you mentioned yoga, and that's something I would cite. Going for long walks is something that I would cite as well. And they're not, maybe necessarily considered black I may even be looked upon among like my family or even some of my friends as like what are you doing why are you doing that kind yeah, of thing why are you burning up and stretching like we that, actually you know? talk about that why things like that aren't seen as black like yoga and going for walks because that is a part of your experience as a black woman and I and I actually think that it is um when I think about some of the intersections that I like occupy or that like make up my personhood so things like uh, my working classness my mum didn't have time to be thinking about yoga and going for a walk do you know what I mean um my dad my granny none of them had time for, for things like that to be thinking about things like that so it's almost part of my privilege actually that I can right. lean into those things um, and that they can be part of my experience um as like the joy in my life but then I, I say this and then I'm thinking about my granny and some of the things that definitely brought her joy and I don't even think she necessarily would have had the language to have said this brings me joy but her persistent doing of these things and making the small investment um, in doing these things. So I'm thinking about trying recipes. She'll watch something on the television. It will be the most abstract thing. And she will go and buy the ingredients and she will make this cake from this Palestinian cake or this fish cake or whatever it is um, that is like not the things that we ate sort of thing. But that definitely must have brought you some joy, you know, um, and you made the little sacrifice of spending the extra 10, 15 pounds to buy the ingredients and spent the extra gas money and took the time to make these things, you know, um, and then share it with, with us. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I also think that there's, it's important to name that from our position as Black Brits, our lens is very, um, very much centered around whiteness in my in my experience and in my understanding. Because I think some of the things that we're describing, yoga, going for long walks, when you think about it from like from the lens of people that have that are born and raised on the continent, I do think that there are ways in which. Um, people around the world embody blackness just differently and it just mm. it's not I don't think that actually stretching and when I think about like my the, the people that I um like elders in my family that's waking up and stretching their body is very normal and was very normal in the kind of the ways that they grew up um and it's not so I think that there is something about kind of a western lens um a eurocentric a whitewashed lens of what is what is like black and what is white. Um, and I think that that's, that's something to just name and note. Um, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't minimize the experience. It's the experience is the experience. When I think about yoga, I don't think about black people straight away. That's not the first thing. Yeah. I'm in spaces. Um, I'm in spaces actually where people exclusive, like where only black people are practicing yoga or practicing um, meditation or whatever it is. Those are the spaces that I've tugged myself into, but still on a kind of broader um, mainstream level. And part of that is representation. Um, I think part of that is like what you've named, some of the ways that like the intersections that we exist on um, 
mean that those spaces are not open to um to certain type quote unquote certain types of black people certain types of people in society um who tend to be marginalized yeah, marginalized, mm-hmm. yeah. um and jade but did your parents work like were, were they living here when you were growing up so when you're saying you're from a working class background and your parents didn't have time were, were they in the uk yeah both yeah, of so- my both of my parents were actually born here okay yeah the reason why i asked that is because i always I do feel so privileged that I'm even able to talk about like black joy and the things that I'm doing as someone who whose parents migrated here and like built a life for themselves here and I come from working class background as well and like I am very I'm fully aware of the fact that where I am today is because of my parents hard work and resilience and like your parents Jade my parents had no time for black joy they were multiple like they were balancing many jobs they were able to find joy in in small aspects of their life, but as a whole, their life growing up was just defined by hustling and grinding. So yeah, when I do talk so about certain things, like I mentioned to my dad earlier this week that I was knitting and he was like, what's this, what's, what's, what's knitting? And I was like, I'm trying to find some happiness. But the, the reason why I asked is because I, I just always want to like imagine how different this discussion of joy would be if our parents, weren't I don't know I don't want to say if, if they weren't here but if they weren't in an environment which was like a white supremacist one which was defined by whiteness where they didn't feel <clears throat> this pressure to work like they they didn't have less capital which meant that their adulthood was defined by just grinding and building up a life for their family which is which just I think it just like almost makes me feel a bit sad to be honest because I think what when we talk about like other communities I guess with them maybe their parents were able to implement joy more into their lives growing up in like a more like structured way but you know what I'm so struck by when you when you said that so I thought about my parents and I thought there were things that they engaged in that did bring them a level of maybe respite they may not have described it as joy but it brought them respite yeah um true. it helped them so um what I thought about was drink ups I remember my mum going to drink ups all of the cousins in one room the adults in the living room they would be smoking and drinking in there um I think about when I think about going past salons my mum didn't really go to salons but my auntie would sometimes come and do my mum's hair for her they probably didn't think about it as joyful necessarily. It probably felt like something that I had to do, but there is a level, there's an element of joy in that. Even me, when I go and do my nails, I do my nails religiously. It feels like something on my to-do list, but when the nails are done, there is there is a joy that is invoked, yeah. you know? And so it's more, maybe the privilege or the freedom is more, we're able to think, we've got think the time to it. think and make it a bit political actually um in our own like individual lives and experiences and they just didn't have maybe more space and time that they didn't have is to do that thinking and that can be intentional but yeah yeah I was was gonna say something really similar because there was a party at my house every week um, I love that like literally there was like my house was a party my house was actually a party my house was the like local link up People would come, they would be drinking, people would be getting drunk, misbehaving. That And, like, I think about the depth of joy. When I think about, actually, the most joy I, I experienced in my life, it was in those years. It was in those years in my early, very early childhood when my parents were um, together and joyful. Yeah, I think about hall parties and I think about the joy. Like, what? Like, supermodel, oh, your cousin, the love rice. Oh. Like, what? like what else like what more could one want at that stage of life like, and the depth of joy like knowing that rah there's a whole party coming up it's someone's communion or someone's funeral yeah. or someone's whatever it is but we're all like gonna be together and we're gonna be eating rice and dancing and sliding on the floor um and getting in trouble for sliding on the floor uh, or playing playing run outs if we're going if it's in someone's house or whatever it is but we're going to be together and that's why I think for me there's there's something about collective and community that I just can't when I think about black joy I think there's something about 
finding community and finding um joy in spaces um when like it's almost like we shut the door so it's yeah. almost like the world and society looks like that but we're going to come and these are people that might be cleaners these are people that might be whatever occupation they have but they're going to dress up to the bees knees together it's going to gather that night and they're going to yeah. come and they're going to step into their joy and they're going to dance um I think about my auntie Angela who is queen of misbehavior mm-hmm. and I think about the depth of joy that she embodies like she just likes to dance and she'll just be out here dancing same with my godmother um, who that she always used to say, I'm short and the rest of her soul, she's late now. I'm short and I'm ugly. I don't know why she say that, but I can dance. And she'll just be like, <laughs> and she'll just, that was like, and she's known for that. And I think, oh, when I think about other races and when I think about my exposure to or my understanding of, I don't see those characters. I don't see, or I don't see the, the joy manifesting those ways. And so there's something very unique and there's something very like embodied, physically embodied by the type of joy that I think accompanies blackness. Um, I love that as the title. I'm sure I'm ugly, but I can dance. Yeah, rest in peace. I feel like I just wanted to just go to the book um, because I've got a question that I really want to ask um, okay. Timmy. And that is, um, you mentioned like you just mentioned black people and it's almost like in your mind, the readership is black people. This is in like your foreword. And I wondered, did you even think about white people in, in like curating the book in, you know, considering who's going to read it? Did you ever think about white people? I did not. I hear it. I did not. And I, I, because I think when we were going through the copy editing process, I, the, I actually didn't say black people. That's like, it was like for my black readers, I think. And they were like, yeah, you need to put black in because there might not be just black people reading it. And the copy editing process is, for people that don't know about um, books getting published and stuff, that's like the last, last bit where like they're doing the final run thing. So I was like, wow, yeah, okay. So non-white people, are, like non-black people are actually really going to be reading this. And that was the first time I thought about it, which I actually think, was the best way to go about it because I had very much had a for us bias mentality like when this book was being like curated and we were editing all the essays I wasn't really thinking about like white readership making it palatable to like non-black people and making sure they can understand it that was just never that just didn't even cross my mind at all all I thought about was young black British people having something there that they can pick up and realise that they're not alone and that they have a right to experience Black joy in their life. Um, but then it's really interesting because this is, this is why I think that, like, as Black people, we, we've been told since we've been, like, we've been told for generations that our experiences aren't palatable to the wider community, that only we understand our experiences. And I think there are parts of our experiences that only black people can understand. And I absolutely love that. Industries like publishing have almost used that to stop black people from telling their stories in an authentic way. And they've forced black people to keep the white audience in mind because they're the majority. But Charlie and I didn't do that. Yet non-black people and white people or like people of color that are not black have read the book and have been able to understand quite a few elements of it. Like even my essay, like people were reading it being like, oh yeah, I was in a fandom, I experienced this. Like there was an essay um, about like black gay nightlife, but people that weren't black or gay were able to read it and understand it. So it's kind of like, okay, what we've been told our whole lives about our experiences not being palatable to the wide audience just isn't true because Charlie and I created something not thinking about anyone apart from the black community if we're being completely honest and people are still able to get it um, yeah and I'm say, this, is, this isn't like there's probably some people that I've picked up and been like oh I don't understand but like and I think there's a lot of black media and black literature that is coming out has been coming out in the past few years which is specifically about the black experience that has been able to garner 
mainstream appeal, even though that isn't who it's intended for. So it's, I kind of feel like all these industries don't even like have a right now to come to like people and be like, oh, is it really sellable? Is it like, no, it is. So yeah, I really hear you. Um, and, and that was my presumption as well, that like you <laughs> didn't even think of that. And I feel like that's revolutionary. But also when I think about so many productions, um, so this being a production, so this book, Black Joy being a production, when I think about like music, film, other works of literature, um, I really think about them as portals into like an experience, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think in my politics, I really am wedded to um, the importance of that in a society. Like we should know of other people's experiences. I think it is empathy building. And I think that when there's an understanding, things like all of the isms like begin to die you know racism ableism like they die when when there's an understanding being cultivated and I think we're so important as curators as creators um and being audacious and Mm. coming around the table and being like no this is what we're doing you know this is what we're doing and I'm not bending you know I also think that there's something about the human experience and kind of shared experiences that really do span every community um and there's also the the like looking at things with an intersectional lens as well so there are ways that like people from working class class communities that had proximity to blackness in in certain ways that they that is actually part of their experience growing up as well the hall parties maybe yeah or the loud church on the corner of the road that their brethren's brought them to once in a while or the aunties um and eating jollof rice and whatever it is um and I think that particularly um that coming from London um and that having kind of a very mixed experience um uh, like racially mixed but also class-wise I just think that there are ways that actually we have we are creating something um new and I do think that that black people and blackness and black culture is at the helm of 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 that or some of that yeah some of the ways in which we are and so I don't think that some of the things that historically might have been on the periphery I think are now becoming mainstream culture Mm -hmm. um pros and cons to that some of that is being done very clumsily yeah Um, I just I do think that it's important to name that actually we're not um Black joy and the experience of Black joy and what Black joy looks like in the mainstream is not so much on the periphery anymore. Um, I think that that, that's a really important and interesting thing to know. And it's so weird, like, because I feel like in our lifetimes, you've seen that transition of it going from being in the periphery to now being in the mainstream. And I think that's just, there's pros and cons to it, but it's something that, if I'm being completely honest, I still, I, I'm, I'm struggling with like seeing that transition happen because when you're so used to being on the periphery or being like at the margins, when you're seeing your culture then becoming the centre, it's, it's really hard to know whether this is being done genuinely and being given the grace and being done authentically, which is why I really appreciate being able to be in Black Joy and having Black people create their own bits of art and be at the centre of the production because that's when I know, okay, it will be done authentically. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, actually. I was going to ask, so for for listeners that maybe haven't encountered the book or don't know about the book, um, can you, one, tell us a little, like, tell us what it is, mm. um, and then two, tell us maybe a little bit about the process of curating, because I think that the lineup is sick, by the way. I think, like, oh, the, the people that you have um, brought together to write is, like, really diverse and really, um, like, re- so really my, I haven't, um, got through the book I will admit that's fine um, but, um, really, I like that yeah <laughs> it's a really diverse um it, expressions of my understanding of that and the the, the chapters and the, like it's just different expressions of black joy um and that really covers and spans across that like, different um identities within that which I think is great so yeah can you tell us a little bit about the book what it is yeah. and the process of curating it yeah so it's probably bad that I'm gonna start off with that but um <laughs> So yeah, Black Joy is an anthology of 28 writers, Black British writers, essentially just talking about 
things that bring them joy. Um, and it's been published by Penguin Random House. Um, and it was co-edited by myself and Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff. She's a senior editor at the New York Times and was previously the head of editorial at Gaudem. She's like one of the best writers and journalists I know. So yeah, it's kind of surreal having my name next to her on a book. Um, and the way in which it came about was, so I was actually brought onto the process like a few months in, um, but Penguin essentially approached Charlie in the wake of the resurgence of Black Lives Matter movement last year. And they were like, we wanna do our part. We wanna write an anthology about being black and British and we want you to edit it, Charlie. And I think they approached her having the idea of like, essentially, um, I'm not sure if you guys have read this book, but like the good immigrant, like 3.0, like just by like black British people. So kind of talking about their experiences of racism and from like an educational standpoint, and Charlie, being the amazing person that she is, was like, um, nah, we've got a lot of that. Clearly this literature is um, not doing what it needs to do because of what happened last year. And also when it comes to the black community, I don't think she wanted to get another round of black writers to write about what brings them pain and the struggle of being black, because as we all know, it is very emotionally taxing. And given the year we went through, we've not even just the resurgence of BLM, but with COVID, it just didn't seem like a fair ask. So she thought of writing, having an anthology about black joy and asking black people to write about what makes them happy and what brings them joy. So I got involved in it from like a mentorship perspective where um, Charlie wanted to have someone that is passionate about writing, has an interest in entering the publishing industry, but has no experience doing it and will edit some of the essays and also write their own. So that's what I did. And um, we reached out to a range of people. We had some big names on there, like Munya Chihuahua, Leanne Pinnock, Auntie Diane, who was at the launch and who I met and it still feels very surreal. Um, and then we also have like some key influences that we think a, 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 an important part in like the young Black British communities like Shante Joseph, Jason Okandaye, Buki Bakare from Rocks, um, Atien Athek. Um, and then I kind of wanted to bring in younger writers that had not really written for like official or like mainstream platforms before. So they're the people that I commissioned. Um, and that's like Fope, Tope, Hania, um, Theofina and Mackay. Um, and they wrote like a range of essays. Um, so yeah, the, the process was just like, honestly, it couldn't have come at a better time because uh, it, I started around a year ago now. So this is when we was like tier three, tier four, winter lockdown, it was cold, it was dark. I just wasn't doing well mentally. Like the seasonal depression was seasonal depression in. So having work, having like to do work about black joy and reading all these essays about what made people happy, honestly is just what got me through that. Like, and it, oh, it was just so, it was just so enlightening and, it really forced me to think about my blackness in a different way. Um, I struggled a lot to think about the topic for my essay because it was the first time I had written about my race, but had to come from the lens of what made me happy rather than um, expressing the struggle that I'd been through. And it was the same for a lot of the writers, actually. They were like, I've never done this before. Like, am I doing this right? Um, so it was, it was a very, like, important act for a lot of us. And it's nice, like, even hearing you guys talk about it and doing all these interviews, like, people are now being like, yeah, what, what brings me joy as a Black person? Like, what makes me happy? And even asking ourselves that question, I think, is so important. Um, sorry, I've just done a whole spiel, I've spoken a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts if you have like any more questions and stuff. I do think that the process must have, like from what, from what you're saying, it sounds like it was um, really embodied and cathartic, um, yeah. which I think is really important. And I think that, I think, I do think about joy a lot in my personal like, life. I think I, I think about joy, um, but I, and that's why at the beginning I was saying I think about the, the barriers to joy um, and I think about that structurally and interpersonally as well. Um, so I think that the conversation of joy, what I like about it and what I like about 
the phrase black joy is that we're not ignoring those barriers. And actually the reason why it is quote unquote black joy and not just joy is because we're acknowledging that there are barriers um, for us and actually for us experiencing that there is a very unique expression of an experience of um, and that joy doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, from, in my work, I talk a lot about accountability and like the need for there to be um, kind of a recognition of, of that in order for me as a black woman, um, in order for me to fit in, in, in a place of joy or to feel joy, there needs to be a recognition of the, the structural, the structural ways that like, I'm not encouraged to feel joy. Um, and that's important. So I think that it's a really important piece of work. I think you're sick. I think everyone involved in the project is sick. Um, and my, my ho- I guess my hope is that we just continue to hold this conversation um, about joy and how to, and not in a like, so yeah, I don't, I'm proper not about performative joy or performative happiness or pretending um, for the sake of pretending that um, that we need to acknowledge it. Yeah, things are hard, but equally um, how the ways in which we still navigate struggle um, and still find our litness. Um, yeah. Yeah, good yeah. And also just um, coming back off that, I don't want people that haven't read the book to think that what I'm saying is that our struggle and our experience of the struggle aren't valid and aren't real. Like the point of black joy isn't to deflect from that or to invalidate that or to minimize it. It's just meant to, and Charlie puts it really perfectly, like balance the scales. Mm. I think this society gives a lot of attention when it comes to black people about the pain and the trauma. And what we're saying is that, yes, we need to carry on talking about this because we have a long way to go. But as black people, we also need to make space for those things that give us joy, happiness, and respite. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not, I'm not saying that none of this matters because it really does. I think, Ez, just sort of piggybanking on what you were saying about like some of the maybe barriers in like interpersonal black joy and then like, yeah, like broader joy and what have you. Because of course, me and Ez like spoke and whatever prior to jumping on um, the recording. I think I feel like we've touched on this a little bit in this conversation anyway but like there's definitely really like maybe monolithic ideas of blackness so I've me myself I've mentioned um grand music for example already and but there are black people that don't enjoy grand music or there are black people that wouldn't venture to a shubs or wouldn't like that sort of space I think about like ideas of blackness and I just think about like there is actually there are monolithic ideas of blackness so there's like when we think about being black what black is we think about London we think about being straight we think about like particular genres of music as I just mentioned like going to a shubs and just things like that and I just wonder about feeling exclude excluded but actually how you guys have so carefully curated the list of contributors so that there isn't an exclusion in like these ideas you have like made it as broad as possible you have like picked up so many different people from different intersections and that exist at different intersections sorry that have had so many different diverse black British experiences um and I just wonder like was that really was that like really intentional it was like no that this list will be 50 people if it needs to be sort of thing yeah it definitely was um and I think that comes from both Charlie and I actually not being from London um so we were both actually born in London but then moved out so Charlie um spent most of her life in Scotland I spent most of my life in Essex which I know is near London but I was in the heart the Towie the, yeah, it was very much at the heart of Essex. Um, growing up, I always felt like I was in the periphery of blackness because I wasn't from London. And I think being from Essex was really hard because, not really hard, but like, I was I felt like I was on the outside looking in because I was geographically quite close to London, but I still wasn't in London. So I had like family and stuff that were from London and I'd like see them and I'd be like, oh wow, that, that's... Oh, that's that's what being really black or truly black is like and I just spent like so much of my childhood and I, I don't want to do the like 
we, we all know the narrative of like black people like raised in white communities so I'm not going to do a spiel about that like but I did genuinely feel like I was I was black so I didn't fully fit in the white spaces but because I wasn't from London there were so many parts of black experience I just didn't really resonate with so I'm now a fan of like grime and drill and UK rap in general but growing up I wasn't exposed to that at all it was very much like electronic indie pop like guitar music um which is why my essay is about one direction and when I was when I came on the process I was like to Charlie I've really I basically want this to be a book where someone like home counties or like a black person living in the countryside can pick it up and be like ah okay so I'm not alone okay so like the black experience extends further than London because I think growing up for me I genuinely thought that I was my family was like one of the one of the 10 families that didn't live in London I just thought all black people were in London and Manchester it was like London and Manchester I didn't know there were like other black communities or like other black people outside of that because everything I saw was just so geared towards those cities. Um, so yeah, we've like, we really tried, cause I, I know that there's never ever gonna be a body of work that ticks off every part of the black experience. Cause as we've all said, it's not monolithic. It's so wide and vast. So we, we can never do that. And we knew that when going into it, but we wanted to try our best to make sure that what was spoken about went further than just what was happening in London. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that because I've, I've been really, really scared that it has still been quite London centric because although a lot of the people aren't from London, a lot of us are living in London now. Um, but yeah, that, it, it makes me happy that you've noticed that. And I, just, I, I want that to be something that people realise that it's not just for black Londoners because the two people that edited it are not black Londoners. So yeah. And I just named something as well. Um, so as you were speaking, you spoke, you kind of mentioned your experience and the difficulties in your experience. Yeah. Um, and I do, I think I hear, and I just want to name it because I hear it a lot. So whenever I'm speaking to people that are not like Londoners, they kind of minimise it a little bit. So they'll be like, oh, I'm not going to say the whole spiel. I'm not going to, we've heard it okay, all. Okay, really? Um, I just want to kind of name that and just put that in this into the conversation because I think that actually in in not acknowledging that that must have been really difficult and for different reasons because I think that growing up in London being black was really difficult do you know what I mean and that's yeah. a, but I have different like I have different that's a whole other conversation but I think I, I do think it's really important to create space for that version of difficulty um, and to talk about it and to actually not um, to not brush past it and to um, acknowledge that because when I think about racism and when I think about the impact of racism I do think that the experiences are extremely different growing up um, with people that look like you around you so even if you feel um, I felt racism before I before I heard it, before I understood it. Yeah. I felt that always oh, we're the poor ones. We're the ones that our mums are late to pick us up. And we're the ones that one mum is picking up every single yeah. one of our primary school. Um, but but I so I felt that before I could kind of cognitively understand what was happening. Um but that's, I, do, I just think it is different. I think it's important to kind of um to spotlight both of those experiences and create space yeah. for both of those experiences. Yeah, if you know what, thank you for saying that. Because do you know what? I just get scared that I'm sounding like bitter for not being raised in London, and that like I don't like Black Londoners because of that experience. So I think I've probably convinced myself in my head that like you guys are tired of hearing about it. You're like, oh, here we go again, and like a non-Londoner like trying to chime in, um, and that's probably something that I need to address in therapy. <laughs> No, but also as a Black Londoner, I do think we've got a responsibility. So one, as a Black Londoner, I think I have a responsibility to just be slightly less ignorant and think about, like, my experience is not representative of everybody that grew up in the UK. Yeah. Um, black, one. And two, then I, I would take it a step further. I think being from the UK or being British or being kind of black diasporan whatever that means um our experience is not representative of blackness around the world yeah and, there are, and it's just very 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 important that we 
um, in as much as we can, we can talk kind of locally and that kind of the local experience of blackness, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's just really important to plug out. And in my, in my, in recent years, when I've kind of spent a lot of time in Nigeria and spent a lot of time understanding what, um, what it means to be Nigerian, to be Igbo f- f- on the continent, um, I've just, I think there's just like lots of things um, in in relation to this topic of black joy that is like has freed me up to experience joy, um, because I'm stepping out of the the box that um, that being a black working class girl from London, I'm stepping outside of that box and stepping into, oh, there's there's like something significantly bigger about my identity um, mm. and what I what I grew up being told that there was. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That was I found it funny that you said that you're gonna bring it to the therapeutic space. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I definitely hear you. I really do hear you. Um and I, I can't imagine, I guess, or I can, but maybe not on that scale. So I think I have understood maybe what it felt like to feel like a little bit of an outsider, like you haven't followed this mold. Yeah. I remember coming into secondary school and um no one was from no well people were from North London but not from the part of North London that I was originally from and people's primary school experiences weren't like mine so a lot of them went to Catholic primary schools or they went to primary schools with mostly black people um and I felt a little bit outside of some of their experiences and some of the things that they might have talked about and things like that um but I can't imagine if I was from yeah like somewhere completely removed basically or felt completely removed um that must really be a thing um it must feel like a thing to feel outside of this this mold basically um that's maybe the the language that I can that I feel like I can apply to what you might feel um on a on quite a broad level I've been thinking about this um just because I started by saying I'm I'm in the bin a little bit my mental health is not in the best place um but I do think there's something about being intentional um and similar to like curating the book and being intentional about that now you know we're not going to focus on trauma we're going to talk about joy um and we're going to do that very intentionally I think there's something about being intentional about claiming joy and and experiencing and accessing joy um, so to close, could we maybe um, say one thing that we are going to do um, this weekend to cultivate joy? Um, and because I always make Jade start, I don't mind starting. I am going to watch Netflix. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It's really simple. And um, anyone that knows me knows I love a show. And when I'm not watching my shows, that's that's a really big indicator that I'm not in the best place when I'm not watching my shows. Um, so actually, yeah, something I'm going to do this weekend is I'm going to start Made, which I've been meaning to start. Oh, I've heard that's really good. I need to start that. I've got so many things that I'm watching. I'm watching Succession right now. Oh, I've heard that's that. good. That's good. Um, I think what I'm going to do so what I, because I completely agree, like being intentional with joy. And one thing that I've realized that I need to start doing more is like implementing those elements of self-care, which seem like a chore when you're doing it, but outcome brings you a lot of joy. So for me, one thing that I've really struggled to tackle with is cleaning my room. But when, I'm, when my room is clean, everything's in its place. I feel so much better. So this weekend, I'm going to like, sort out my laundry like change my sheets and just like clean my room like maybe even like burn some incense just to like feel better in that space again because that is something that I know when I've done it I feel amazing but just the process of cleaning my room I do find a bit long my put on some walkers album or something (laughs) so since that again while cleaning oh god that that I don't know if that will bring me joy even what you said is about watching made I keep passing it on my Netflix and I think <laughs> I can't finish is it, it heavy I actually don't know the synopsis mm, nah yeah no I mean it is it's it's very it's very well written it's amazing television I really appreciate it but it was really triggering for me personally okay. um but yeah I am a bit different from you Timmy because I feel 
like such an extra extra girl I feel like I do so much things um like so many things so I always I buy flowers every week as I said I always get do my nails um I think in terms of like my house I'm so like particular um and sometimes even when I'm like going to buy the flowers it's like so I might I would spend maybe like 50 pounds a month on flowers in like when I think about it all together I feel like that's excessive Jade like you're a bit excessive um but I think what I'm gonna do is I'm going to do the things that I like doing for myself for my space and I'm not gonna have those afterthoughts I'm not gonna let those afterthoughts like dampen what actually does bring you joy you know um so yeah I think I'm gonna do that this weekend where are people buying the book yeah you can buy it from like any major retailers um like Waterstones Foils Blackwells Amazon anywhere like um but please support your independent retailers as well I have to say that um but yeah it's and you can get the ebook and the audio book which um most of the contributors actually like read their essay aloud so I read my essay but it was after a festival weekend so my voice is not really there <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah buy the book if you haven't already <laughs> yeah guys go out and buy the book it's hardback here to me yes hardback paperback comes out next year yeah so yeah man make sure that you go out and get get the book um go out and buy the hardback book man come on guys let's curate our bookshelves with black literature yeah. But yeah, thank you so much to me. That thank was um, an amazing conversation. Yeah, this has been one of my favorites. Like, this has been very insightful. Take care <laughs> of yourself. All right, bye. bye. I can't come here and die. I can't come here and lose. I got all this shit on my mind. Like, what the fuck on a day? Work ain't paid me in time. My brain just ripped in my mood. Just cut off my line